Welcome to The Drift, your resource on all things business strategy, entrepreneurship, and leadership. I'm your host, Aloiza, and today's guest has had such an incredible journey. Elizabeth Tuzolo was a D1 collegiate athlete at Drexel, spent time leading corporate partnerships and activations with the National Football League, to then making such a graceful transition from sports to health and wellness by becoming a multi-unit franchise owner at Pure Bar, a regional sales and ops manager at Orange Theory, spearheading digital integrations with Gym Pass, and now with Shutterstock. I'm so excited for you all to hear her story. So without further ado, welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you. That was such a lovely intro. I appreciate all that. (laughs) Of course. I mean, it's a lovely background, and I can't wait to really dive in a little bit more today. So I mean, I guess without, without that said, can you share with us a little background on yourself and what got you started? Yeah, yeah, I definitely have um, an interesting background kind of all over the place, but I promise it all relates to each other. Um, I started out uh, as a sport management major in college, was really only focused on working in sports, Um, really uh, interested in NCAA, actually. So I only wanted to work in college athletics. Um, I quickly found out it wasn't really for me and made my way into pro sports. So found myself in the NFL. Uh, working for the New Orleans Saints, and really got thrown into um, like the top of my game right away. So working on Super Bowl, Final Four, you know, NBA All-Star, kind of everything, WrestleMania, like literally every possible sporting event you can imagine. Um, So super cool opportunity really early on in my career. And then um, I'm excited to tell you about how I got to the next place. But yeah, really foundation in sports, and then kind of made my way into health and wellness through a lot of that. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's let's talk about that journey from sports with the NFL and then becoming a pure bar franchise owner and then tapping into B2B tech. I mean, walk me through this process. Like, did you experience any big learnings throughout these transitions? Curious to hear all of the different synergies of how these different roles have really um have really helped one another. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's a natural progression from like sports is such a being an athlete and then working in sports, it's such a hardworking industry, right? And like, I never took no for an answer. I kind of like always worked really hard to get where I was. And then when I was living in New Orleans, I think I was making $28,000 a year. Um, I was like scraping pennies together to pay rent. And, you know, every free meal I could get through the team, I would like always go to like the free dinners or whatever. So, so broke. And, um, I discovered Pure Bar. One of my friends actually took me to my first class. She also worked for the Saints. And we were like literally scraping the other pennies and completing the challenges so we could get the discount the next month. And really, I had no business being there. I just couldn't afford it. And um, naturally was doing math. Like I walked in and I was just like, okay, there's 25 people here. The classes are, are, are waitlisted. You know, she has two studios. Just doing math in my head I was as I was waiting for class to start. And then I think it was just kind of in my competitive nature to be like, you know what, I want to do this. Like, I want to open one. And I actually applied to be a teacher and I didn't make it. And I think it was like the first time in my life that I was like, quote unquote, cut from something or didn't make something. And again, my competitive nature was like, you know what, I don't want to teach there. I'm actually just going to own one. (laughs) And it it like very quickly transitioned into this obsession with like, how do I come up with (laughs) $250,000? Which is just, if you think about how much I was making, and I probably had like $400 in my bank account, very, like a just completely wild dream that I was thinking of. But um, 
again, just like that mentality of like never stopping and, and never taking no for an answer. Um, I somehow, you know, through this is a very, very short story of it, but uh, somehow convinced a bank and through the SBA to lend me $300,000 to open up my studio. And, you know, after that, the kind of the rest is history, but that transition of like being a client and like really wanting to move into the space. Um, I remember the first class I took and thinking to myself and saying it out loud after, like that was the hardest workout I've done since college athletics. And how can I replicate this as an adult over and over and over? Cause I was done with sports and I wanted that. I craved like, community and, and working out with other people. And I got that through boutique fitness. So after that, it was just kind of following that, you know, path. And after being done with the NFL, learning, I can make a little bit more money elsewhere. <laughs> and that we kind of came, you know, the next chapter. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. I'm over here in back laughing because I'm like, oh my goodness, that is so, so powerful for you to have gone through that. Um, and I think one thing I definitely wanted to learn from you more about now so more than ever, especially as I'm sure you've heard with the name, image, and likeness. I think collegiate athletes and players and really honestly athletes in general, they're going through such a unique time period right now. Um, And it's such a positive way too. And something that I'm really more like kind of thinking about is how players are starting to tap into more of the health and wellness dynamics. I mean, you're seeing some of the bigger name name brands and health and wellness like Hyperice, um, Therable, all of those good guys out there. And they're really using athletes and players and pro players to help not only like market their brand, but also almost verify the, the proof and the science behind their products and services. And it's so interesting to hear your background specifically of how you were a collegiate athlete and then you trans- transferred almost your your passion and need to, to continue having a healthy lifestyle into more of like the boutique classes and health and wellness. So do you have any thoughts on like how other athletes are able to kind of go into the health and wellness space in that same way? Yeah, you know, I think it, you're right. It's such an interesting time. Um, as you might know, the NCAA has finally allowed collegiate athletes to earn money on their likeness. And, you know, while it's a small portion of them that are able to do that, the really popular ones are um, ones with a, a large platform. I think it's such a good time to allow athletes to start earning their own money and and making money off of their name super early, right? And um, you know, if you think about professional athletes like moving into more of the traditional sponsorship space, if a an athlete gets a um, a sponsorship deal, typically it's like for GMC trucks or you know whatever barbecue sauce or whatever it might be. It's like something that's like, they may not actually use that product. They're not genuine in the sponsorship. And it's very clearly all about the money, which for both parties, it works very well, you know, but I think it's in this new age of health and wellness and this space becoming so much more, you know, uh, rich in, in money and, and able to sponsor things that you're able to say, hey, let me actually go back a product I believe in and not just something I'm getting paid $100,000 to like use this barbecue sauce once, <laughs> you know, and I think it's a cool area and athletes are able to be smarter and say like, Hey, I'm going to go try XYZ and get behind products like Tonal or Hyperice or Theragun or all these, these really great brands. Um, one thing I do think is interesting, like coming from the sponsorship space as a team, come, you know, where I'm coming from, we never wanted anyone to uh, sponsor just a player. Because if you think about like the way athletes' careers go, they're not always long-lived. 
really the lucky ones are able to stay on for a long time. And with one mistake, you know, their likeness is no longer worth a lot of money. So in the position I was in, you know, and anyone who represents a player would obviously disagree, but um, in the position that I was in, you're really focused on, hey, sponsor the team, put money behind a team because the team stays consistent. The players can come and go, um, especially if you're spending lots of marketing dollars, putting your name next to a brand, put it next to a brand like the New England Patriots, the New York Jets, and, you know, whoever it might be, that's going to be a brand forever. So that was like kind of always our pitch behind, you know, don't partner with so-and-so individual player. Um, and there's tons of examples of that, you know, looking at Tiger Woods and, you know, so he's obviously like the prime example of, of um, massive sponsorship dollars kind of going out the window. But um, yeah, and I think it's interesting, like what Tonal is doing is really cool and seeing like, they almost have like a fleet, a team of, of athletes that support them and probably genuinely use their product, which is really cool. And I think it's a, a sponsorship that makes sense. And it's not just like, again, hey, use my barbecue sauce, but I probably don't you know, actually use. So um, I think it's cool to see athletes that are being smarter about what they put their name next to. Completely agree. And I think that notion really sheds a light on the experiences that you had in working with NFL, but also like what it was like with you being in that position yourself. Um, You know, I've always been such a firm believer that sport can teach such transferable life skills. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about your experience as a D1 athlete and ultimately how that inspired you to work with the NFL and go and go to the pro league? Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, my foundation really of my entire life has been sports, um, you know, from a very early age. So I'm six feet tall, which Eliza, we've met in person, you know that, but anyone listening doesn't know that. <laughs> Um, so I'm six feet tall and I've been six feet tall since seventh grade. Um, yeah. So from a super early on age, like my dad was, you know, always super focused on me playing sports and I owe him everything just kind of in pushing me and helping me get into organized sports. And, um, I was always a team sport player. I never played and my town was very small. So it was only, it was like basketball or soccer, really. Those are the only two options. And, um, it was basketball. There was no question about it. So I actually did, moving forward, did a post-grad year in high school. Um, it had a lot of orthopedic injuries. Um, I had tore my ACL when I was a junior, I think, in high school. And my dad had convinced me to go to prep school to take an extra year. So going from public school into prep school, it's like a whole nother ball game of athletes, really. And you, you all of a sudden enter into like, everyone was 19 years old, which like, 17 to 19 or 18 to 19 is like such a different age range in like your body and how you develop and your brain and you know all the things so moving into prep school it was like going to college like I learned so much of discipline and we had study hall every night and we had you know mandatory practices and so many things that felt like college really early on um in the discipline that I learned even just the two years I was in prep school absolutely laid the foundation to be successful pretty much in everything, but moving on into college and college felt like a breeze (laughs) because I had been in this like super strict, pretty rigid, you know, academic program as well as like athletic program. And, um, having that sense of like teamwork and, um, everything that you get, like from organized sports, I feel like I was excelling versus my peers, just kind of in anything. Um, once I played in college, uh, you know, I'll never forget. And I think this is a very transferable example. 
when we were in college, our coach, the first day of practice came and laid out like 20 different t-shirts in front of us and said, okay, pick one in your size. You'll, you will never wear a t-shirt from another school. I don't care if it's your boyfriend, your sister, your brother, whoever that goes there, you'll only wear Drexel stuff because this is the team you play on and this is our family. And I think that's so telling too, in terms of like being proud, proud of who you work for, as well as who you play for, it's kind of like just being on your team. So I think that's something that like, I'll always remember. And I never, I try to never like represent something that I'm not part of if I don't want to be proud of, you know, like you always think about like, what logo am I wearing on my chest or what team do I, am I representing things like that? So it was interesting in kind of how that all related and always stuck with me down the road. But I think that like, I think about my coworkers and colleagues that have been athletes and I mean, no offense to people who didn't play sports, but I always feel like people that did have a different mindset. So it's interesting to see how it all kind of unfolds down the road. Oh yeah. I completely agree. I mean, I played lacrosse was supposed to be actually a D2 athlete. Um, and decided to go into business school, but that's kind of like besides the point. I totally get it. I mean, there's yeah. something to be said about just the growth mindset, the competitive nature between mm-hmm. athletes. Um, it's so transferable over to into the business space. You know, I'm curious too. I think that example is actually a perfect segue back to what we were just talking about when it comes to athletes and like player branding. You know, I think with the new NIL rules, you know, more and more athletes are starting to create their own personal brands. So. I think from a business side, strategically, do you think this has any impact for businesses and how they should start to really think about their future branding strategies? Um, yeah, I think that, you know, it encourages brands to be more mindful always. I think, you know, we can come up with examples of um, brands that maybe threw their name at every influencer or every player and you're, it's kind of like, oh, everyone's pushing that XYZ collagen, liquid collagen or whatever it is like that everyone has. And you think about really being more strategic about where you place your brand and thinking about long, really, really long-term strategic partnerships. And I think, you know, with what I've been doing in the past few years and obviously the foundation of my career in the NFL, like thinking long-term is really important and like how can you partner together with a brand or a person or whatever it might be to think of like a really a long-term alignment rather than just okay we're going to have a deal for one year we'll fulfill these assets and then move on Um, and sometimes you have to do that if it doesn't align or or something expectations whatever but I think thinking long-term and choosing really carefully who you align your brand with is so important because it it's amazing like my mom for example we went to the Patriots game the other day and this is a really funny example. Gillette Stadium, before it was Gillette Stadium, for like five seconds was Monster.com Stadium. And they had a deal. I think it was like probably almost signed. And the, the pen probably never hit the paper, but they did all the signage in the stadium. And they paid for everything. And the whole stadium was Monster.com. Or it might have been, it was like MDG or something. It was, it was another name. An opening day they had all the wrong branding and they didn't have time to redo all the branding. But to this day, like my 75 year old mom knows it as that. She's like, remember that time, like all the branding was monster.com stadium. So it's just funny, like what's an impressionable thing or mistake or, or partnership that, that could have happened that someone like my mom will remember forever. (laughs) And those are the most impressionable people, you know? So really being careful, like if you're aligning your brand with something that, 
doesn't work or, you know, isn't a right fit that people do remember, even though it's like wiped from your website, people know, you know. Yeah, that's really powerful. Um, I got a little distracted because I remember that you're a Patriots fan and I'm a Saints <laughs> fan. And that's just, it's, my brain's like all gone out at this point. I mean, it's I'm okay. a good football a fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it. to be fair, I mean, you had to, I think you kind of had to be a Saints fan at some point totally. in your career after working with them. <laughs> yes. No, I'm a hundred percent Saints fan. I mean, how can you not be alert? They're like, Mm. I would, they're, Dallas is not America's team. I feel like the Saints are America's team. <laughs> no, but I was oh, so sorry for after, the Dallas, Dallas fans out there. I know, right? But after working in the NFL, like it, it kind of takes away all the excitement of it anyways. So I feel like I'm just, I love sports in general. And honestly, people are like, oh, did you see the score of the whatever game? I'm kind of like, no, I didn't. But I noticed so-and-so is the sponsor of whatever. <laughs> So I've definitely lost a little of that luster, but it's still more of a love for the game or games, sports in general. Yeah, I can completely, completely agree. You know, kind of shifting gears outside of the sports space, now kind of going fast forward into your career journey, um, you went into health and wellness. And what's so unique about your health and wellness background is that it was actually at the intersections of health and technology. So talk to me a little about that. Like how, what did you see when it came to actual, those actual integrations with one another, with those two sectors? Then also how does digital play a role into the consumer experience for health and wellness? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because I feel like, you know, take New York and LA out of it. I started, or I started discovering boutique fitness in like in New Orleans, which let's be honest, is not like the forefront of digital or anything or anything, the forefront of anything really. And if you think about, especially Pure Bar and how it was born, like really organically grew, that digital was not a piece of it at all, at, in any sense. And when I was an owner, so this was like 2010, 2011, I started um, attending classes and they used MindBody and that was their software and I signed up online and I, you know, it was, it was purely a web browser experience. Um, moving on to when I owned Again, there wasn't even an app. There was nothing to use digitally, really, that we didn't have any on-demand or live content, like nothing really supporting the business owner. And in that era, I sound so old. It sounds like this was so long ago. It wasn't even that long ago. The franchise owner, especially a peer bar owner, you know, I can speak for the peer bar owner, was very scared of digital content. And I think a lot of business owners felt that digital was the end of in-person. They felt like, oh, if Susan is going to go take a pure bar class at home, she'll never be a member in studio. And I think, you know, looking at like an Orange Theory or an F45 or all these other, even Full Cycle and Berries, no one had a digital offering. And everyone felt like, okay, the experience is best delivered in, in studio. Um, so it's interesting. Obviously, this is like the pandemic pivot that everyone did, but all of a sudden, everyone was forced to do it, you know, and you had like the Obeys and the Neo U's and different platforms, Peloton, obviously doing both, mainly digital, obviously not, not much in person, but when you see like how this has shifted and now digital, people are not as scared of it. And it's more of a compliment to your in-person offering and not necessarily competition. And I think that's what was so interesting because even my own mentality was that this is going to ruin my business. If I had, if Pure Bar Corporate offered a digital offering, all, why wouldn't all my clients just go and take a 19 dollar you know twenty dollar a month offering and go do it at home 
Um, and I think that's where like my mindset shifted tremendously through the pandemic. And, and I think before that too, um, I owned a Peloton, I own a soul cycle bike, you know, there's all these things like I'm buying into it too, but I also have in-person memberships. And I will say, I'm definitely not like a normal client. Like I'm a more sophisticated user than most, but I think as you know, the times have changed and as people's habits change, it's really going to be both. Um, so how it's all shifted, I think, has been interesting and kind of also how businesses have to support studios in, in a digital way, because now the a studio owner is going to be a more sophisticated owner. A member is going to be a more sophisticated member. Even seeing the evolution of like an Orange Theory app, an Orange Theory digital offering, things that never existed even like two, three years ago that are full force and have like a full staff right now. So a lot of shift in, in kind of what's going on. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's interesting. Um, so like for context, my brain likes to work in pictures sometimes. So I'm going to try to like actually visualize and kind of like describe what I'm seeing yeah. in my head right now. You know, in the past, health and wellness to me, or it's actually in general, it was like everything's always going to be like this hub and spoke model. But before the hub was always the gym like the fitness center, the boutique studios, and then the spokes were, well, you got to have members, you got to have trainings, you got to have staff, you got to have programming, nutrition, all that good stuff. And now fast track over to current state post pandemic, what we realized now was the hub actually had to be the member from the very beginning. Yeah, some people were able to actually see that picture a little bit more clearly before the pandemic. But I think because of the pandemic, um, it really started to crystallize this idea and notion that we can't continue to operate in a way where we're almost teaching customers how they should behave. And rather, we need to actually be understanding how customers are behaving, perhaps through technology, through digital, co collecting data, and then from there, meeting them where they are. Yeah, I think it's so interesting. I, I look back and I see, you know, I owned my studios for almost four years, I think, about four years. And if I know what I knew, if I knew what I know now, oh my God, I'd be a millionaire. Like, I think about all the things that I, I didn't do in terms of even just connecting with them through text message or allowing them to communicate with me through text or, or whatever it is, like different means of communication that was easier for my members rather than me dictating to them, I only have my phone on from X time to X time because that's just what peer bar owners do. You know, or like we always take lunch breaks and I lock the door and that's it. You know, certain things that are so ingrained in, in kind of like that traditional mindset of like small business owner or whatever, I think fitness is growing and, and wellness and it's becoming more of it's part of our day 24 seven and it needs to be available to people 24 seven because they need it 24 seven. You know, it's not something you only go to your 930 AM class and that's it. You know, it's becoming really part of our lives. Oh yes, definitely. You know, now kind of current, current state, um, diving more into your role from like a product perspective, I mean, you have seen the really the powerhouses that have powered the powerhouses in, in an instance, like the software, the technology, what's really running behind the scenes to help these mega, major mega brands operate. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? What do you think has fueled the growth and essentially how do you see it evolving in the future? Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting because, you know, again, back in the day, like your peer bars, your Orange Series franchises were those powerhouses. And I think, you know, now that there's these other giants emerging in kind of like the lifetime fitness, equinoxes, soul cycles. I've always been there, but are becoming more accessible to suburban areas and not necessarily just in large major metro areas. 
Um, they also need really sophisticated software to power them because it's not the days of like, let me check in a, a member and ring them out for a water and that's it. Like doesn't work anymore. And I think we all know by using this software, some of them are really old and really dated. And I think, um, you know, when I was at GymPass, my role was to work with all the software providers. So we were working with, um, you know, ABC Fitness, Jonas um, Compete. Uh, I'm trying to think of all the ones like Club OS, like these just kind of like softwares that are, they were built for one specific reason. And I think now that gyms and studios are evolving, they're trying to evolve. They're trying to use the software in a way that it wasn't built to be used. Um, and you find workarounds and like, these weird backdoor things to like make a 12 month membership or whatever it is, it's not meant for that. Um, so, you know, what I was able to see, I saw every single software, I saw how they all work, you know, and we were integrating them into the gym pass, uh, booking system. So the gym pass users could easily seamlessly book on the studio or, or gym's website, or I'm sorry, booking system. So then they could go to class. So, and everyone gets paid and no one knows the difference because it's all done on the back end. Now, when you look at the differences between kind of like the under the hood, I guess, if you if you want, of these businesses, some of them were just like clunky, old, APIs were crap, nothing was available, you know, trying to do these workarounds to make things work. And the businesses that I saw, the, the software systems that I saw that were the most successful were the ones that were willing to evolve with their clients, with their, their customers, being the studios. And having these large corporations like, Barry's Bootcamp or F45 or whoever choose a software was huge or in Orange Theory, you know, saying, hey, we're going to invest into MindBody, but you have to do XYZ to keep us because we need whatever to make this work. So, you know, it's also a huge, huge rat race out there for software to kind of like update what they have so people can get what they need. And I think, like I said before, gyms and studios are becoming way more sophisticated and they don't want just a booking billing system. They don't want like one CRM that they manage everything. They want their email marketing. They want their CRM. They want their ring central. They want, you know, all these different things in one rather than having to have like 10 different logins in all these different areas where nothing talks to each other. So as it evolves, you know, things are just getting to be more sophisticated, more uh, integrated, which I think is super important. It's not competition for all these brands, they have to integrate with each other in order to provide the best user experience for the studios. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You just brought me back flashbacks of the days <laughs> that I'm sitting in front of a studio computer like, and I have 10 <laughs> tabs on my computer up between Ring Central, MindBody, Club OS. Goodness gracious. I also, know. all of them had to have a different password. Yes. And they probably made you reset it like every 30 days. Every, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's exactly it. And I think yeah, the reality of it is as much as we want to have a, a one-stop solution, my goodness, please, if somebody out there right now does have that one-stop <laughs> solution, please let us know. We would love to share that. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think you're exactly right. You nailed it. I mean, as we continue to evolve, I mean, we have to, we being like software solutions, we have to be able to evolve with the times as well and truly meet the franchise owners, the boutique owners, the fitness owners where they are because you know, and thinking with how the health and wellness industry is evolving, they're essentially creating this entire well-rounded experience where it's not just a workout anymore. I mean, you're tying in all of these different components in health and wellness between nutrition, I mean, now more so than ever, mental health, um, and then also creating a community to tackle it all. So um, it's important that 
you know, we are starting to continue to, to innovate from a technology perspective. Yeah, that's so true. I think that you hit it on the head with the community piece too. It's interesting how often with all, I'd say probably 80% of these softwares, they don't include anything about social or how do you connect your community in a more meaningful, less, you know, uh, transactional way. And I think that's where it's really going to be super interesting to see where it goes in the future to see how they can actually build a community virtual, you know, in this like virtual space and in your brick and mortar space to create just like your studio community in general and not rely on Facebook and Instagram, you know, how you can do it in a different way. That's not just social media. Cause I think that's definitely going away in terms of like join this Facebook group and, and you know, and, and create and interact with the community there. It's not going to happen anymore. So it's interesting. Oh yeah, definitely. Cool. Well, and ex- any exciting things coming up that we can expect from you? Oh gosh. I feel like it's funny where I am in my life and in my career, I feel like I'm on the verge of something. I know this sounds like so cliche. And so I don't know, it just feels like something else is coming soon. And I don't really know what but I'm, I'm open to it. and I'm ready for it. And I think it's like, I'm very driven towards working towards things I'm passionate about. And I think that like, I'm ready for the next project that I can really get behind and like, 100% dive in and just be super passionate about and I love like creating things. So I'm like up to create something. Anyone out there who wants to create something? But yeah, I don't know. I, I just have a feeling something's coming. So I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> oh, goodness. I love it. Well, we're all rooting for you. Um, awesome. Well, final question. Yeah. If you could give advice to a young woman that is desiring to be a future entrepreneur, what would you share with them? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I feel like I could give so much advice. Um, you know, I'll go back to what I was saying. I, I didn't really touch too much on it in the beginning about how I got my peer bar franchiser or, or got the money really. And I think I got told no so many times and it was incredibly intimidating. Like I would, I remember going, um, so I did so much research about how to get an SBA loan and you have to have a local bank as kind of like your person um, that supports you in getting it. And I went to, I won't say the name, <laughs> the local bank here and I just felt like it was a super traditional, old, crusty guy, right? That like was the guy that you just imagine behind the desk at a bank, like lending, you know, it was just such a picture perfect person. And I called him and, you know, I had, I didn't see him in person. I, I think I had his photo on the website and I, it just like, I was so intimidated by this person and he almost like laughed at me when I was like, I'm looking for a loan for $300,000 and I'm opening a bar studio. And he's like, what is that? Like, you know, we didn't even know what boutique fitness was, had no interest in learning. Um, and I could have stopped right there. I mean, he literally just was like, no chance. You're not going to get it. He's like, how much collateral do you have? And at the time I had none, literally none. I think I maybe that $400 that I had talked about that was in my bank account. But I could have stopped there. And, you know, I, I give myself, I think back, especially during COVID, when you see people looking for SBA loans and how difficult it is to work with the SBA, I'm still in awe that at 25, I was able to get an SBA loan, you know, and I think it takes finding a person who believes in you and finding a person who believes in your skills, not necessarily looking for you to have proven yourself in the past. Because that's another thing that women do is that they look at when they like go to apply for a job, for example women tend to look at something and say, oh, I don't have eight years. I don't have experience in marketing. I don't have experience managing people. I don't have experience doing X, Y, Z. 
Whereas sometimes a man will go and look at that and say, I can do that. I don't have experience in it, but I can do it. And I think that's the difference sometimes in mentality of like knowing that you can do it and having confidence in your skills, even if you haven't actually done it before. So it's a little difference there. And I think the other huge thing that really got me to where I am today is faking it till you make it. I know that sounds terrible and I hate that phrase. I need to think of a better one, but it's really just, you know, putting on whatever outfit to fit in, like make sure you can like walk the walk, talk the talk and you figure it out. Like eventually you will learn and and you can kind of make up for your shortfalls or like things you haven't learned yet in this kind of fake it till you make it mentality. So do I know everything about tech? Absolutely not. Have I learned it? Yeah, I have. But like it took a lot of kind of smiling and learning and admitting you don't know stuff, but also just like being super eager and open to learn. And I think that the faking it till you make it really makes sense. And kind of just like, if you want something, put your mind to it and don't take no for an answer. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. You know, I really relate so much to everything that you just mentioned, (laughs) because, you know, at the end of the day, I really, I do wish there was another phrase for it, but it is like, you do just need to do whatever it takes to get yourself that, that level of confidence to move forward. And yeah. It's incredibly powerful. Yeah, it's really about confidence. And I think like the one other piece of advice I'll I'll give is I've had people say to me, like, you speak so confidently. And oftentimes, you know, I might not be that confident about what I'm saying, but if you speak it or say it, kind of like speaking it to existence, but speaking something in a powerful, firm, concise way, it goes so it's such a long way in talking to people. They like believe you more, they trust you, they're willing to talk to you. And I think you know, it was, it was actually this woman, I'm in grad school right now at uh, Boston University. And it was this woman in my group. She was the VP of, oh my gosh, what was her title? VP of security for like Boeing. I mean, badass woman, you know, really knows her stuff, but she complimented me on my confidence. And she was very soft-spoken, really quiet. Um, English was her second language. So she was really working hard on being like, well, you know, uh, more firm voice. And she was really like, loved how confident I was and I was like you can do this too you know this is something that like every woman can do you just kind of have to be a little clear loud and you know it goes a long way Mm, definitely does well thank you Elizabeth for your time looking to hear more about what's happening in the health wellness and sports industry subscribe to this podcast and we'll catch you next time on the drift